0: When I was growing up, my grandma lived with us for 18 plus years. And she used to get a magazine called Country Magazine. And Country Magazine, you guys remember this? Country Magazine had these beautiful pictures of farm landscape and stories of how families used to work together and do different things. And it was really, really interesting. Excuse me. One of the categories in this magazine was called What's It For? And they would have a picture of some implement or tool or sort of an odd kitchen appliance or something, and you would have to guess, what is this thing for? And people would write in, this is before internet, right? And people would write in and guess what it was, and the next month they would post the answer and you could figure out what it was. And I was just remembering, you remember these odd things, but I was remembering that this week and thinking, okay, last week in Ephesians 2, we saw that God saved us by his grace really clearly. So now I think we need to ask some of the same questions and say, okay, what's it for? Why did God save us? What does the Bible tell us about why God saved us? That's a better question. (laughs) So that's what I want to do this morning. I want to look at verse 10 because I think verse 10 answers the question in this context of why God would look upon sinful people, dead in their sins, according to the first part of Ephesians 2, He would extend mercy and grace to us, bring us into his family for what reason? That's the question we're going to answer this morning. So I'd invite you to turn to Ephesians chapter 2. If you don't have a Bible with you, they're out on the table outside. You're welcome to take those and take them with you. That's what they're for. But I invite you to turn to Ephesians chapter 2. We're going to read 1 through 10, but we'll focus our attention on verse 10 this morning. So let's read the word of God together. Because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, and raised us up with him, seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works. So that no one can boast. For we are his workmanship. Created in Christ Jesus for good works. Which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Amen. Let's pray together. Father we come this morning with hearts eager to hear from your word. I thank you Lord for how this text has worked in my own heart this week. And I pray now this morning that this would not simply be me reciting something, me reading something, sharing some experience, Lord, but we need to hear from you this morning. We have no hope apart from your saving grace, the work of your spirit, the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. So as we come this morning, Lord, we come humbly yet expectantly. And we ask that your word would do everything that you have designed it to do. Would it save? Would it convict? Would it heal? Would it restore? Would it encourage and exhort? Lord, I often feel unworthy to handle your word. Who am I? But through your spirit and through the work of Christ, you have given all of us everything we need for our life and for godliness. So, Father, come. Open your words to us this morning. May we leave here changed and better equipped to serve you. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Well, there's three things I want to do with the verse this morning. I want to see, first of all, in the context, of what Paul is talking about, what he means. Secondly, I want to bring in some supporting scriptures, one of which Scott robbed from me in Matthew, but that's okay, we'll talk about that later. But I want to see what Jesus says about this. I want to see what Peter says about this because I, <clears throat> I don't want us to get the idea that even though we're preaching through one of Paul's letters, we don't want to come to think of these as isolated texts in the Bible. The Bible is a whole, okay? It's 66 different books with the same inspiration of the same Holy Spirit, with the consistent message all the way through. So, the reason that I often try to pull other texts in is not to keep you busy in your pew flipping your pages, but it's to show you the entirety of the Bible is in harmony with itself. There are no rogue passages that are kind of saying something that isn't said somewhere else. And I think it's really helpful that we come to see the Bible in that way. So that's what I'm going to do. i want to bring in some supporting scripture. And lastly, I'm going to apply this in ways that I think are helpful for our church and our life context and also for you as you go out into the world. So let's see what Paul is saying first here. Let's start in verse 10. For we are his workmanship. Who are we? Who's the we Paul's talking about? It's those for whom verses 1 through 9 is true. Right, We are those who have been taken out of the deadness of our sin, <clears throat> brought into the family of God, given the blessing of an inheritance, which we saw earlier in Ephesians, the promise of the enjoyment of God's grace forever. All of this made possible because God has saved us by his grace. That's who we are. And I think that the reason I'm going to focus on this is because identity in the Christian life is a huge matter. I talk to a lot of people, and many people struggle to understand what it means to belong to Christ. What does it mean to be a member of God's family? And especially in the world, because, I mean, don't you guys find that there's always some other person, organization, idea, philosophy that's trying to tell you who you should be? watch any kind of athletic ad for equipment or products or supplements or whatever it's all about who you should be but i think the most important thing for us as believers is to find out not what the world says i don't care i want to know what does the bible say who does the bible say i am if you listen to what's around you <clears throat> you can either fall off into two ditches on the one hand you can hear you're pretty worthless You don't have what it takes. You don't work the right job. You're too big. You're too small. You don't drive the right car. You don't have the right amount of influence. On the other hand, the world is constantly trying to tell us, you don't need God. You have everything in yourself that you need. You're enough. You're good. Well, five minutes in your own mind will tell you that's not true. (laughs) Right? So it's so important that we understand that what the Bible says is what we need to be concerned about. That's what we really need as Christians. We need to understand, we are God's children. We we saw earlier in Ephesians, we've been adopted into his family. We're no longer outside, knocking on the door, trying to get in. We're there, we're part of his family. That's who we are. Isaiah 43 opens with this wonderful, wonderful passage. You probably know it. The first verse says this. Thus says the Lord, He who created you, Jacob, who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name, and you are mine. That's who you are. If you're in Christ, you belong to God. And it does not matter what the other voices tell you. We are his workmanship. We, us, Christians, undeserving people brought into the family of God. That's who we are. When God made you, when he formed you in your mother's womb. Psalm 139 tells us more about that. That was not accidental. It is not as if we're some sort of cake mix that's thrown together and randomly produces something. God is intentional in what he does in creating us. No matter what the circumstances surrounding your birth. Let me tell you this. Listen to this. Whether you had two parents, one parent, Maybe you grew up not knowing who your parents was. God knows you. God loves you. God designed you for a specific reason. He has prepared things for you that you would walk in them. That's what we're going to see this morning. You are, your life is not accidental. God created you. We are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus. But more than the physical, literal side of things, I think what Paul is talking about in Ephesians 2 is more of the spiritual side of things. We are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. Spiritually. Now there are many parallels in the Bible. You know this if you've read through the Bible at all. You know that the Bible uses certain language to help us understand what's going on spiritually. And one of the big themes in the Bible is that of creation. We are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus. One of the most beautiful passages that I think uses this illustration comes from 2 Corinthians. If you want to flip back just a couple books, actually two books, you can find it. 2 Corinthians 5. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself. If you're in Christ this morning, you call yourself a Christian, you are a new creation. You have been created in Christ for a purpose. Just as God spoke the world into existence, we read about that in Genesis and other places in the Bible, so he does with our spiritual life. This is also clearly detailed in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Listen as I read. Verse 3. Paul says even if our gospel is veiled, it's veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ. So what's happening is that there are people in the world and all of us were in this place at one time where there's blinders over our eyes. We are not able to see the glory of God. We're not able to see Christ and say, I love him, I treasure him, I want him because there is something veiling us. So what happens? What needs to happen? Verse 6 of chapter 4, for God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. What he's doing is referring back to the act of creation when he says, let God who said, let light shine out of darkness, that is going back to the creation of the world. He's telling us that to help us understand that that's what needed to happen for us to be saved. We were created in Christ. The world didn't create itself. I don't know what you were taught, but the world did not create itself. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Any more than you didn't create yourself. You had nothing to do with your conception and birth. But God has the ability to bring life where there was no life. Read Romans 4 where he talks about Abraham and this example of God bringing something out of nothing. That's what happens. We are his workmanship, created. Just as God created the universe, ex nihilo, out of nothing, so our spiritual life comes to us as a gift from God. As we saw last week, we've been saved by the grace of God. This is why I think Paul, may, Paul is primarily talking about spiritual creation in Ephesians 2. We are created in Christ Jesus. But again, we need to keep asking the question of why. Why would God save us by his grace, create us in Christ spiritually? What's the purpose? The answer comes in the next phrase. Look at Ephesians 2.10 once more with me. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. This is where the title of the sermon becomes very important. Where we are saved for good works, not by good works. We have to get that straight. That has to be a category in your mind. That the things that we do, the things that God has prepared for us to do, do not merit our salvation. They are an overflow of the salvation that God has given to us. So here's what's going on. Paul, in the last few verses and in chapter 1, has made a big deal out of the fact that we have been saved by the grace of God, apart from any works we have done. And this knowledge, as we saw last week, is meant to eliminate boasting, to get rid of any reason that we have to take credit for what God has done. But when people hear this, when you hear this, you should be asking the question, okay, then what? Because being saved by the grace of God doesn't mean that now, for the rest of your life, you sit on your hands. And you say, well, God saved me, I guess there's nothing else to do. The knowledge of our salvation is meant to produce in us an attitude of thankfulness and gratitude and motivation for what God has done in us. This is where I want to bring in some of the supporting texts that I think really help in our understanding. So two things that I want to know here. First, we need to see that God saved us for good works. And we need to identify those and what they're for. Second, that we are to walk in the good works. Okay, there's an intentionality behind this walking language, and we're going to get to that in a minute. And I'm simply defining good works. you we say, well, what are good works? Jacob's definition is that good works are the things that we do motivated by a heart filled with love for God and love for others. Okay, the good works that we do, the things we do, are that which are motivated by a heart that is full of love for God and love for others. So, first good works that God prepared. When we read that God has prepared something for us, I think it reinforces the teaching of the Bible that says God is not um, hands-off. He did not create us. It's kind of like the, you've heard illustration: spin the top, wind the clock, whatever. God didn't do that with his creation. He didn't create us and just leave us alone and go, well, I created them. That's the end of my responsibility. Let's see how this plays out. He is involved in your life. And maybe you don't see it clearly all the time, but He is. He has prepared things specifically for each one of us. Isn't that amazing? What kind of God does that? He's prepared it for us. He knows the way He's made you. He knows the things you struggle with. He knows the things you're good at because He's gifted you in those things. He's prepared good works, the Bible says. Not only to showcase what you are good at, but to bring Himself the most glory possible. That's the point of looking at this text, of taking the time here. It's all about the glory of God. Scott alluded to this text before, but Jesus talked a lot about the purpose of our good works in Matthew 5. He's in the Sermon on the Mount, He's just finished the Beatitudes. And now he comes into this, Matthew 5, verse 14. If you don't have time to flip, just write the reference down. I want you to look at this at some time. It doesn't have to be right now. Matthew five fourteen. You are the light of the world. Who's the you? It's those who have been saved by the grace of God. Okay? You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand. They display it, and it gives light to the whole house. In the same way, Jesus says, let your light shine so that others may see your good deeds and think you are awesome. Oh, sorry, I read that wrong. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they would see what you do and what? Glorify your Father in heaven. The point of us doing things is not so that we get recognized If you set out to do good works because you want a name, you want a reputation, you want someone to notice, just notice what I'm doing for once, that isn't the right motivation. It's all about the glory of God. Just as a lamp spreads light into a dark room, so our lives are to be in a dark world where the things that we do do not attract light to us You don't walk into a lit room and go, man, that's a tremendous light bulb. You look at the stuff that's illuminated. In the same way, our lives are to be a light that illuminates the glory of God all around us and points people to that reality. John the Baptist had it right. He must increase and I must decrease. That's what we're supposed to do we're supposed to let our light shine so that people see us investing in other people they see us ministering to the poor they see us advocating for defenseless life both young and old and they're not going to say man that's a great church they're going to say what an amazing god that's that's the point we show our gratitude to God, not hear this, we do not do the works as a debtor. you don 't do the good things and say, "God has saved me by my, by his grace it 's undeserved on my part, and now i 'm going to work it off i 'm going to give back to God because. I just I have to I have to repay him. That isn't the mentality of the Bible. You don't I don't read the Bible and come away with the sense that, man, this is so undeserving. What can I do? I got to do something. I got to earn it. I got to work for it. I got to pay for it. That isn't grace. That isn't grace. Grace is receiving from the hand of God and out of an overflow of thankfulness we act. It's an overflow This is the way it's meant to be as long as we get the order right. We have been saved for good works, not by good works. Paul spoke about good works being the outcome or result of salvation when he wrote to Titus. Titus chapter 2, kind of the last part of the chapter. Jesus Christ gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. Jesus redeems us, brings us into his family, we belong to him, this is our identity that I was talking about earlier and now he wants that people to be zealous, excited, motivated for the good works which God has prepared before us. If you have kids, or if you ever were a child, which I think covers most of us, you know that there are two ways to do a task. There's a way to do it that drags your feet along and you stubbornly admit that you need to do it. And there's a way that you can do it which is excited. And you do your best because you're excited about it and you're zealous for it. This is the kind of attitude we're supposed to have towards these things. The works that God prepared before us is not meant to drag your feet on. It's meant to be something that we say, yes, I've been saved by the grace of God. I want to get in. I want to get my hands dirty. I want to put this in. Not to earn it back from God, but to celebrate all that God has done for us. The order makes a huge difference. We're a people saved by grace. We ought to be a people zealous for the good works which God has given for us to do. So, what are the good works that God prepared? Let's get to it. What are the good works that God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them? Here's where I look at what Peter said. And if you want, you can flip a couple books over. 1 Peter chapter 4. I'm going to read verses 8 through 11. 1 Peter 4, 8 through 11. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling, as each has received a gift. Use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Remember that phrase, varied grace. Whoever speaks is the one who speaks the oracles of God. Whoever serves... As one who serves by the strength that God supplies in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. If we try, excuse me, to define good works too narrowly and we say this is what the good works are, we're going to miss some things that God has prepared for us. Or you might exclude something Just because it's not where you're at. So I think we should be careful, um, especially not to use comparison when it comes to good works. Don't look at somebody else's life and say, well, I'm I'm not doing what they're doing. I'm not serving in the way they're serving. I'm not as public as the way they are. I must not be doing it. Or the other side of that where you say, well, I'm doing things a little bit better than they are, so I think my works are probably more noticeable. It probably brings more glory to God. Okay, we just have to be so careful. Comparison kills. I'm sure you've heard me say that before. Whatever it is, in a marriage, in your parenting, if we compare ourselves constantly, it's going to kill you. I think Peter helps us understand how to identify these things when he says this. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Varied means different, right? Variety. We all know what a variety pack of chips is because you get three bags of good chips and one bag of terrible chips. Not everyone has the same skills. Okay, not, <clears throat> we are not all identical. There are things that Josh, our worship leader, does that I don't even know how he does them. Now, what should I do in that situation? Should I look at Josh and say, well, I'm not Josh, so I guess I can't do anything in the kingdom of God? Or should I look at the word of God and look at my own heart and say, what are the things that God has equipped me with? What are the things that I'm interested in? What are the things that I can serve in and celebrate those things, encourage Josh in the ways that he serves, and find the ways that God can use his grace in my life? See what I'm saying with the comparison thing? Just because someone does something different than you doesn't mean that one is better than the other. This is what makes the church the church. The church. This is why being in a body is so important. Because it takes all kinds. This is also what makes church so interesting. (laughs) You meet interesting people in the church, don't we? And because of that, God's glory is not mono, it's not singular, it is multifaceted. And we see his glory displayed in many different ways because of the varied ways that he has gifted us. So don't sit now this morning and hear this and say, I just I don't think I have anything to I don't know what I'm good at. I don't know what to do. God has given each one of us a gift, a good work to be walked in, to be done, to be pursued for his own glory. I think the main emphasis is to say here, is so what Peter says, if you've received a gift, which you have, use it. I'm not just talking about in the church. We'll get to that at the end when we apply this stuff, but it's not only in the church. Sometimes when we think about spiritual things or Christian things, we think, well, this is limited to the sphere of the church. It's not. God has given us gifts to be used for his glory in all of the world. How do you think that the Old Testament passage is going to come true that says, the glory of the Lord will cover the earth as the water covers the sea? It's not only in this room. It is by you being equipped by the word of God, going out into the world and glorifying him through the way you work your job, the way you live your life, the way you parent your kids, the way you interact with your coworkers. That's how God gets glory. That's how we use the things that he's given to us to use. But inside the church, if we have the mentality that someone else will do the work, I think we need to tweak our idea of what the church is. As the size of church that we have at Grace Bible Church, we're average right around 80 people on a Sunday, there are probably, Scott, in the neighborhood of 20 to 30 volunteers when we get Set up and we get administrative help and we get worship stuff and we get all the Bible study leaders and stuff. It takes a lot of people, even in a simple, smaller church like we have. Everyone has a gift to be used. Everyone. Inside of the church and outside of the church. So don't think that there's a work so small that it's insignificant. I've been so encouraged by the smallest things. A text message, hey, I'm thinking about you, praying for you. Armor on the shoulder, how's your week? Just, just little things. Don't, <clears throat> don't think that good works are these mega, huge, mountaintop kind of things. They can be, but that's not always what it is. The things that God has prepared for us are varied, because the grace of God is varied. The good works that God prepared for us are meant to be walked in, acted out, right? We see that in Ephesians 2. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. If you've read through the book of Ephesians, you'll see that walking is a repeated theme. Six times Paul uses this. Walk worthy of the gospel, walk in love with one another. We used to walk in this way, remember that from verse 2 of chapter 2? We used to be following this course, but now we're following this course. It's a different path. Path of life, not of death. Path of righteousness, not of sin. A path of good works, not selfish passions. Like Paul talked about earlier in the chapter. So Paul is saying that God has saved us by His grace so that in obedience to Him, we would do the things that He has prepared beforehand for us to walk in. Okay, That's what I think Paul is saying in this verse. Now, let's consider a couple ways to apply this as we come to a close. The one thing that I want to draw out has to do with walking. The good works that we are to walk in. And walking to me denotes intentionality. You usually walk for a purpose. You're trying to get from here to there. You're moving in a direction. Although sometimes we aimlessly walk, don't we? But here's the first thing. Good works do not happen accidentally. Normally. (laughs) Good works take intentionality on our part. That's why I think Paul uses the word walking. Think about the intentionality that goes into most of the things that we do. You came to church this morning, you probably set an alarm, you got up, you got dressed, you grabbed whatever you had to, you, you planned ahead and you came. If you're going out of town for a couple of days, you don't just usually hop in your car and go, maybe you do. Most of us plan. You call ahead, you make a reservation, you make sure you have gas in your car. There's things that you do to prepare to be ready. So let me ask you this, in ways of applications, how much time, resources, and intentionality are you spending... Being prepared to walk in the good works that God has prepared for you. That's not meant to be a condemning question. I'm just saying, when's the last time you assessed that in your life? When's the last time you sat down and thought about, am I ready? Now, of course, there's spontaneous things. Things that come up. But even those, there's a way to prepare for. There's a way to be ready to walk in those things. I'm not suggesting that we have to plan everything out in our lives. That would be really tough. But what I am suggesting is that if if walking in the works that God has given to us is important, if it's a way to follow in obedience, then what are you doing to prepare for it? Are you ready? Have you thought it through? Do you have materials ready? I know some of you carry gift cards to be able to give to someone who needs it or gas cards or whatever it it can be anything that's why I'm saying we can't define this too narrowly we just have to say are you ready good works don't happen accidentally we gotta be ready for them so that we can walk in them God has prepared them for us but they're not gonna happen accidentally okay we need to be ready it's not taking anything away from spontaneous things those are great But on the whole, I think we would do well to be prepared to walk in these things God's prepared. Second application. Determine the areas in which you can use your gifting. Determine the areas in which you can use your gifting. Peter says, as each has received a gift from God, use it. So where has God gifted you? which is another really good reason to be in the context of a local church because sometimes we don't know. You don't know. You wrestle with, is this just something I like to do? Is this something I'm gifted at? Is this something that maybe for a time I'll be involved in, but then not? That's why you need people around you to affirm those things. If no one had looked at my life and affirmed the calling that I sensed from the Lord to go into the ministry to preach the gospel it would have been a really lonely road and I'm not sure I'd be here. We need those people around us to say, I see this in your life. I see that God has gifted you this way. I have benefited from the way that God has gifted you. And you find out the areas you can use your gifting and you use them. Now maybe your giftings are best used in the context of a family. Maybe God has given you domestic giftings. (laughs) I don't even know what that means, but it sounds good. So maybe that's the way God has equipped you, to serve in your family, to be a blessing to your people who are immediately right around you. Maybe your giftings are better used in the workplace. Maybe God's given you a sharp mind and you can calculate and process and work and you're really good at organization. Maybe that's where he wants you to go. Or maybe it's in the church. Maybe you have a way of working with volunteers and organizing events and working with the staff and all those kind of things, whatever it is. Determine the area in which you can best use your gifting. Charles Spurgeon used a Latin phrase that was ad majorum de gloriam," which means to do what will most glorify God. God is glorified in everything, I'm convinced, from Scripture. But what will bring him the most Glory. Do you realize that you and I, as Christians, have the opportunity to bring glory to God, to point other people? Josh, you said about mirrors before that we reflect the glory of God. You know that you have the opportunity to do that, not to make God more glorious. Or it's not as if he's not glorious now, but if you give him glory, he's going to be glorious. It's the fact that he is glorious, and we as his image bearers have opportunity to reflect that glory back to him by doing the things that he has prepared for us. So what are those things? And only you can answer that. What are the things you're interested in? What are the things that you are passionate about? And then have that confirmed by the people around you that you trust. Find an area which you can best use your gifting that will most glorify God. And I know that this takes time. This is not something where necessarily you can just snap your fingers and say, oh, this is what I'm at. This is where I'm going to be doing for the next 10 years. It doesn't always work like that. But again, get with someone you trust and say, what do you see in my life? I know God has prepared something for me to do. just can't put my finger on it. What, What do you see? And go from there. Find a way you can use the gifting because in using the gifts that God has given us, in the context which God prepared for us, will bring Him glory. We are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works that we would walk in them. Let's pray. Lord, I pray this morning for All of us in this room, I speak to myself primarily. Lord, I pray that we would discover the ways in which you have equipped us. And we would determine what is the way we can use those giftings that will most glorify you. You've prepared good works that we would walk in them. You are a kind and gracious God. You are a gentle shepherd. You lead your people And you have prepared these things for us, God. We want to understand. We want to know what they are. So be clear in your leading. Be clear as you speak to us through your word. Thank you for your word. Thank you for this text. Lord, encourage our hearts that none of us are insignificant in your kingdom. None of us are less than another person. But you have uniquely gifted each one. And God, would we find out what that gifting is and use it to glorify you, to build one another up and serve the kingdom. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your grace. It's in the powerful name of Jesus I pray. Amen.